the wines of Spain are starting to get noticed for their quality and at prices that are competitive with the more established vintages from France and Italy. To help us find the perfect Spanish food and wine pairings, we're joined by two tour guides from Madrid, Nigel Morel and Javier Menor. Javier and Nigel, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Nigel, when you think about a tourist coming into Spain and wanting to appreciate the cuisine and the wine, what is a basic sort of advice you can give? I think, first of all, to be patient, because I think we have high expectations. We go to the first bar or restaurant we see and oftentimes think we're picking something that looks appetizing. And we automatically base our experience on that first impression. And sometimes it's not always the best food. That happens in every country. Um, and I think it's good to be patient and also to ask for recommendations from perhaps the waiter or the, perhaps somebody they're eating at the bar or drinking. What do they like? And what do they like to pair it with? Because locals have been making these combinations for, for years. Now, you're a sommelier in Spanish wine. Right. When you become a sommelier, are you specifically a, have a forte like Spanish or French In this particular or program, the focus was on Spanish wine. How would you distinguish Spanish wine from French and Italian? What's interesting, because Spanish wine for years was really in the backseat, and Italian and French wine have always been quite well known. But finally, over the last two and a half decades, Spain has basically profited, unlike no other nation, in the wine scene. And this is not just my opinion, this is the opinion of several well-known wine critics in the world like Jancis Robinson, Robert Parker. And there's very simple reasons for that. Factors that have always been present are now being taken advantage of, such as the fact that Spain has more land under vineyard than any country in the world. And much of that land is old vines that have very low-yielding crops, and these produce very flavor-concentrated grapes. And also that Spain is the second highest nation in Europe after Switzerland. And this high elevation helps these grapes to fully ripen. And uh, even though we have extreme sun and these mm. grapes would normally bake and have too high sugar levels, the higher elevation allows temperatures to cool off at night and maintain acidity. I never thought about that. But of course, Spain is, is uh, geologically like an upside-down uh, cereal bowl or something, a high plateau There's a high plateau, with especially a steep in, cliff and then a, exactly. a lip near the ocean. So we got uh, Spanish and French wines growing at lower altitudes, even though Spain is in the south. People don't think of Spain as being a very high country. Right. And we, it's not to say we have the highest mountains. It's the highest high average, exactly, elevation, where it's very common to have vines growing around 2,000 feet, 2,500 feet. And if you think of what's high in Napa Valley, maybe around 500 feet would be considered high. Javier, when you think about Spanish wine, my sense is in the old days there was a lot of table wine, and uh, a country can get a reputation for having just good, solid table wine. True. But then it has to work to cut back on the quantity of production and cut up on the quality. Is that going on in Spain at all? I think that, well, technically, that happened once we became part of the European Union. Quotas and all that. And that's why maybe, going back to what Nigel said, we focused on quality. Instead of the quantity. Instead yeah. of the quantity, and that's why Spanish wines have improved a lot lately. As a Spaniard, don't you get a, a sense that people are focused on French and Italian wines and Spain has to do some catching up in the marketing area? They are until we give them a glass of Spanish wine and then we tell them, you know how much that bottle cost? Six bucks? And they go crazy. <laughs> no way. Wow. So you could make a good case that the value, if you oh, want yeah. the value. yeah. Let's say 10 euros. That buys you an excellent Spanish wine. Ah, that's 13 or $14. Yeah. Then you get a good bottle of wine. Now, we know Rioja. That's sort of the famous wine in Spain. Give me a, just a quick review of the regions and what other regions we might want to pay attention to and the importance of distinguishing between regions and grapes. I could say the hip region. 
should be the Ribera del Duero. The Duero. So this is the the Duero River is the mm-hmm. one that goes down to Porto. Yes. And that's where we're famous for port in Portugal, but it extends into Spain. Indeed. All right. And what kind of wine would we find there? I don't know. Maybe the word that comes to my mind is velvet. Velvet wine. Ribera del Duero is smooth. Is And Rivera, it's important to know that Rivera del Duero helped put Spanish wine on the map internationally. Because okay. before that, people only knew Rioja. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was in the 1980s. Nigel, you're from California. Can you pronounce that, that other wine in a way an American could understand? Oh, so it'd be Rivera uh-huh. del Duero. Okay, Ribera del, del Duero. Duero. Exactly. That's an up and coming. Means uh, the Dodo Bank River Bank. Exactly. exactly. Okay, the, Duero, the river bank of the Duero. Okay, exactly. so that's a good region. Right. Uh, Javier, is there another region we should be aware of? Okay, I'm going to be um, experimenting here. Fierce wine called Toro. Toro. Bull. Toro is another experience. It's taking wine to a different level. This is Bull? Toro? Yeah, it's Toro. Okay. Bull. Why do they call it Toro and where is that? Fierce wine, strong, but extraordinary. A fierce wine. A fierce okay, wine. Good. Toro, Toro. And will I find that everywhere in Spain or where is that from? It's actually becoming easier to find, mm-hmm. but it's basically west of Ribera del Duero. Okay. West and northwest. It's close to the border of Portugal. It's becoming easier to find within Spain and even outside of Spain because there have been some major cult wines coming out of Toro. And I think it's a fun wine to try, to experiment right. with. I'll look for that. And it's actually called, the, the label says Toro. Yeah. We'll recognize it's a, it. It's a, as well as a Rioja wine. Hey, right. I want a Toro wine. And when we're thinking of wines, I mentioned earlier the importance of pairing. Nigel, you're a sommelier. How, how important is it to know what food to enjoy with the wine? And, and what's the concept of terroir and matching regions right. and, and this sort of thing? So we could start with food and wine pairing in general. People have different arguments depending on which critic or sommelier you talk to. The I think the basic argument, and I think the one that makes the most sense when you're at a uh, beginning level, is that regional specialties go together. Right. Being that if you're in, for example, uh, Castilla León, which is the autonomous community, or we could say roughly state, north of Madrid, they have specialties like roast suckling pig, right. which is in the area of Segovia. Just north of Segovia is the wine region, Ribera del Duero, which is the one we were referring to earlier. And there's some amazing wines that go perfectly well with Rosecling Pig from that wine region. And, and it makes a difference to you to, to consume the food and the wine, wine from together. the same region. Does it really make a difference in the taste or is just as a feel right? Well, for me, it feels right, first yeah. of all. And keep in mind that these days, because modern winemaking has brought so many regions up to the same playing field, uh-huh. you could make an argument by saying, well, the wines from, for example, Toro are just as nice as the wines from Ribera del Duero with Rosecling Pig, and the regions border each other, and that would make sense. But there's no sense of history behind having a wine from a different region, even though there might be similar characteristics, similar structure, similar you know, aromas. That is interesting, because Europe has such a sense of history, and right. then if you're tuned into that history and the, the roots of the culture, there is a power to that that Absolutely. we might not have here in the United States, right. where you don't have that long history. Javier, when you're thinking of great wine... Talk a little bit about great local ingredients. What What is a nice uh, marriage, a nice pairing? Uh, if we talk about Spain and pairing, I can only think of seafood and albariño, which is northwest Galicia. That is the pairing. Really? Seafood and I don't know, a that, white wine? That's then? what comes to my mind. Yeah, albariño is a, is a white wine. Uh, okay. Fruity, fresh, cold. Yeah. Nice. And that goes really well with lobster, crab, 
all kinds of seafood. Oh, I'm, this is uh, makes me want to go to Spain, that's for sure, with an appetite and a thirst. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Javier Menor and Nigel Morel. We're talking about Spanish wine and pairing it with uh, local specialties. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Stacy's calling in from Greensboro, North Carolina. Stacy, thanks for your call. Oh, thanks, Rick. I was um, in Barcelona this last summer and enjoyed some tapas and cava, but was wondering, I know with the seafood, maybe red's not quite the thing, but is there a red wine recommendation? I mean, really, the nice thing about Spain is you have a broad spectrum of reds, talking about in this particular case, from very light-bodied, soft-structure reds that are not very tannic to full-on, meaty, fleshy reds where you have extreme levels of tannin, of color extraction, and the tapas, obviously, you can go from the very lightest seafood-style tapas to heavy meat-style tapas, and, and those would match all of those spectrums of wine I just mentioned. But um, cava, just to go back to what you mentioned earlier, is an excellent place to start for seafood-like tapas, especially in Catalonia, because 95% of a Spanish sparkling wine, which is cava, is actually from Catalonia. It's one of the things that I think, one of the biggest misconceptions people assume that cava is drunk at the end of a meal as if some kind of dessert wine. And that's mm. not true at all, especially in Catalonia where my, my in-laws live. Um, there it's consumed as an aperitif and then as part of the meal just because it matches with so many of the different foods, especially from that part of the coast. And cava would be essentially champagne. Cava is the Spanish style of champagne. It's a bit different in the sense that it evolves more quickly in the bottle mm-hmm. and the aging times are shorter, but it is made following the traditional champagne method and is very much a wine in its own right. Unfortunately, cava's been a victim of its own fame because it's the widest-selling sparkling wine in the world, outselling even champagne. From Catalonia. From Catalonia, exactly. All right. Stacy, thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick. Yvonne's on the line in Grass Valley, California. Yvonne, thanks for your call. Hi. Um, I like Tempranillo, and I was wondering what region that comes from. Tempranillo is um, by far the most uh, common grape we use in the red wines in Spain. It's red. I think that could be pretty much cover all of northern plateau, all of northern Spain, Rioja, Rivera, those wines that are so famous. Most of the grape we used is the one called Tempranillo. Huh. Now, how would that Tempranillo relate to famous grapes we know in Italy? Cabernet Sauvignon or something like I that? I do is... know that right now it's spread all over the world, but it's a unique grape. It's a unique grape. So it's not just a Spanish name for a grape that appears somewhere No, no, no. Else. It's a, native, like it's a native grape. And it goes uh, by different names in Spain as well, which mm-hmm. is important. What Javier is saying is absolutely correct. It's found all over the country. Right. But depending on where you are, Tempranillo and Rioja, it'll be called Tinto Fino, close to Toro. So if I like a Rioja wine, it's probably with this, it probably means I like that kind of grape. Grape, exactly. Because I do so, like a Rioja wine, right. and that means I like the Tempranillo grape. Great, right. And this actually goes important to regions versus grapes. Talk about that a bit, please. Basically, in Europe in general, and especially in Spain, we don't order our wines by the grape. We order them by the regions. And so the problem is for newcomers is that they often don't know what grape is which region, and therefore if they're going to like that region or not. So you could say, give me a Tempranillo, and because it is, like Javier said, the most famous, well-known grape, Every bar in the country will have a Tempranillo example. And you may really be thinking, I want a Rioja that's a Exactly. And you may get then a different region, and it's not what you thought you were exactly. ordering, even though it's the right grape. Because Spain is so diverse in its terroir that, which goes back to your earlier question, that Tempranillo in the north is very different from Tempranillo in Valdepeñas, hmm. in La Mancha, which is different from Tempranillo in Rivera Duero. Hmm. And that's also why they have different names for the same grape, because it's adapted over time to the different climate, the different soil, and this is the whole idea behind terroir. So even though it is the same grape, 
it's been adapted over time to that particular microclimate. So, Nigel, describe terroir as a Spanish moine sommelier. The idea behind terroir is that your soil and your weather and even culture play a major role in what the final wine tastes like. So culture, what I mean by tradition. that is... Exactly, tradition. Whether that's um, aging methods, mm-hmm. techniques, cropping, uh, of course, the harvest, how it's picked, and then the processing of the wine. This all plays a major role. I mean, of course, we think of the romantic side of terroir of being with the weather patterns, and especially the soil. Mm-hmm. But I think it's all of it combined. And that's Yeah, see, why... to me, the weather and the soil, that's sort of clinical. And when right. you factor in the culture and exactly. the love Absolutely. and the history Absolutely. and the tradition, that's where I get all romantic about my wine. Javier, what's your thoughts on that? I was just thinking, that's why the pairing goes often with the region. Yeah, regional food, with regional right. wine, because why should you not do that? It's it just tradition. feels right. It, it feels just right. feels right. I mean, to get what people are enthusiastic about mm-hmm. locally, you can be sipping this wine and you can be looking on the hillsides. Right. At the crops. And, yeah, you and, can see the vineyards and the peaks. And the peaks. You're drinking. Oh, it's all there on. in the same hill. Yvonne, you're getting us all excited with your question. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I didn't know it was to throw up that much action. <laughs> 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 thank, thank you. All right. Happy travels and, and happy enjoying your wine and your good food in Spain. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Great. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and every week we take you to an exciting place and delve into that culture so we can better appreciate it. We're joined today by Nigel Morel and Javier Menor. We're talking about Spanish wine. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Lisa's on the line in Eureka, California. Yes, hello. Hello. Hi, I'm, I'm listening with great interest to all of this, and it was in the 70s when I was a, a college student in Granada, that I was introduced to wine. And the only thing, I knew nothing about wine, the only thing I, I found out at that time was in Spain there was a vino tinto and a vino blanco. Absolutely. Absolutely. Red wine, and that's, white that's wine. the beginning. Exactly. But let's talk about that a little bit, Lisa, because from my experience, your vocabulary is very powerful in getting a better glass of wine. And if you go into a bar, and let's just say we're not doing anything fancy, we're just going to a bar and having a sandwich and we want a glass of wine with it, even house wine or something, you can ask for a vino tinto or you can go a little bit better and then your your bill's going to go from $2 to $3, right? Crianza, for instance, what, what does that mean, Javier or, or Nigel? Well, crianza is the first level within Spain's aging system. So we have crianza and then we have reserva and then we have gran reserva. And what's important to point out here is that in the United States and California, where I'm from, reserve has no legal backing. People can use it to mean their special wine, but in Spain, there's a very specific set of laws that determine what can be called these three levels. The first, for example, is simply the wine has to be aged a minimum of two years. And out of those two years of crianza, six months have to be in oak barrels. For reserva, it's three years and one year in oak barrels, and Gran Meserva, it's five years. And that makes a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if Lisa's going into a, a bar in some small town in Spain, and, right. and you know, like me, she'd probably say vino tinto, she wants right. a glass of red wine, Right. it would behoove her to know a couple more words? Absolutely, because it would depend on the bar, and if it's the typical bar in Spain, um, they would probably just give her a Rioja Crianza, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but she may have a desire to experiment with other wines, and so it's helpful to have this vocabulary. Actually, when you walk into a bar... You, get a, you always say, uh, can I have a Rioja, please? Can I have a Ribera, please? So you name the region, right. and that will be the wine served. Okay, right. but do you get different kinds of Rioja if you say Reserva or Crianza or 
Well, you do, and you it depends could. on, exactly. It will depend on what the bar has opened by the glass, too. And oh, you have to okay. keep in mind that Gran Reservas, being the top level, are quite expensive. So if you appreciate it, uh, for me, a lot of times life's too short to drink mediocre wine, Absolutely. especially <laughs> when you have 10 days in Spain. Right. You don't want to have a mediocre wine at, right. at your meal. And you might want to choose a bar that has more bottles open, just so there's more options. If it's a wine bar, you have more yeah. options. And uh, may I say, for those of you who are going to go to Spain, we use the word bar often, but bar is a simple place. It's what here could be a coffee shop, a cafeteria. For us, a bar is a family place. You go eat, you go drink, you go spend some time. So it's nothing hardcore. Nothing hardcore. You mean yeah. it's, it's a, like, uh, inviting. Like a bar yeah, in it's the not a, We would say right. a tavern or something. Yeah, yeah that's right. This is uh, inviting. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, It can be for the family. It right. can be yeah, we nice use that food. word a lot, bar, but it's a simple it's place. It's not a place that people just go to have drinks. Lisa, any other thoughts or comments? Well, I'm, I wrote down your quote, life's too short to drink a mediocre wine. And I will remember that. I'm realizing I must have been having a tempranillo with this fino tinto, just a generic term, but I will remember Rioja and Rivera and... When I'm really hoping for a grand night, a gran reserva. Ah, uh, you got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. All right. Lisa, <laughs> you're a great student of Spanish culture right there. Have a good time on your next trip. Thank you. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Nigel Morel and Javier Menor about fine wines and appreciating fine wines in Spain. Nigel and Javier, muchas gracias. Muchas gracias, Rick. Un placer. And I'll see you in Spain, and we'll enjoy a little bit of Gran Reserva. Absolutely. Sure. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Spain, Portugal, and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, Begin your trip at ricksteves.com.